and welcome. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Remember that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today, our guest is Christian Bush, and he's going to share with us his story here in just a moment. He's the Director of Global Economy Program at NYU Center for Global Affairs, an author of The Serendipity Mindset. In just a moment, Christian's going to be with us and explain exactly what all that means and talk a little bit about his book, uh, why he wrote it and why we might want to read it. In just a moment, Christian will be with us. This is Hardstock. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, our guest is Christian Bush, and he is the director of the Global Economy Program at NYU Center for Global Affairs, and he's also the author of The Serendipity Mindset. Hello, Christian. Hi, Carol. Great to be with you. Can you please tell our listeners just a little bit about what you do at NYU and why did you write The Serendipity Mindset? Yes, absolutely. So at NYU, I'm focusing on the question of how can individuals navigate a fast-changing world? How can organizations integrate profit and purpose? So it's really all about how do we rethink how organizations work, but also what's the kind of mindsets we need to navigate this, you know, slightly scary yet also exciting world that we live in. And so the book really came out of the last 10-ish years of doing research and previously kind of being an entrepreneur and social entrepreneur around the question of how do you navigate this fast-changing world? And what I found fascinating is that when you look at people who are extremely successful, who are extremely purpose-driven, they usually a lot of times, they, they have this amazing ability to, to cultivate serendipity. They see a little bit more in unexpected moments, and then they turn them into positive outcomes. And so I got really fascinated by that question. How do you cultivate serendipity? Can we all learn from this? And so, you know, serendipity really is this unexpected good luck that's very different from blind luck. You know, blind luck being born into a nice family, stuff like that. We can't really, you know, choose that. But serendipity is this active smart luck that we can control by our own actions. We never really know when it happens, how it happens, but we can make it more likely that it happens. So I think we should start with your education and, and where you're from. Did you grow up in Germany? Yes, I grew up in, in Germany in Heidelberg. Uh, I used to be that kid. I was thrown out of high school, had to repeat a year probably held the uh, unofficial world record of how many dustbins and trash cans you can knock over on your way to school when you're driving. And uh, when I got 18, I, I got my first car and, you know, it became a pivotal moment in my life where I transferred my lifestyle to my driving style. And, and one day I wasn't so lucky anymore. And, and I crashed into four parked cars and all cars were completely destroyed, including my own. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and he was like, oh, my God, he's still alive. And you know that idea that it was supposed to be dead, that stuck with me? And I asked myself all these weird questions. You know, if if I would have died, who would have come to my funeral? Who would have actually cared? Was it all worth it? 
And at that point, I had mostly depressing answers. And that's really how that kind of journey and, and search for meaning started to figure out, you know, what, what is this all about? And I, I read this amazing book, highly recommended, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about how do we find meaning in tough circumstances? And, and what I realized there is I, I love connecting people and, and connecting ideas. So eventually, I guess, is that um, kind of life-altering experience that you had crashing your car as a teenager led you to get serious about academics? Am I on the right path here? What happened after that that kind of led you to be a professor at NYU? Yeah, so I realized, hey, look, I love, you know, connecting ideas, connecting people. So I started out as community builder, um, an entrepreneur, kind of trying to, um, you know, do something meaningful. And then I realized, oh, wow, actually, a lot of times we're trying to reinvent the wheel here. Um, we, for example, created a community for young innovators who wanted to have an impact in the world. And that was all fun and great. But I think a lot of it was also kind of learning as we were building. And so I was at some point thinking, well, is there a way that we can bring together what we already know from around the world, from different communities, different companies, and, and, and really kind of build on this? And so that led me into academia, this kind of thirst for wanting to understand and thirst for um, in a way, then using that knowledge to hopefully impact as many organizations and individuals as as I can. So, within the the world of academics, what did you study, and what did you learn about connecting us? And was it always with a general focus on social entrepreneurship and business folks trying to have a positive impact? Yeah, that most of the work that we've been doing is around that question of how do you develop communities around people so that they can have an impact? How do you develop organizations? And what I found interesting, I mean, I started focusing on kind of smaller companies, you know, social enterprises and so on, trying to figure out how can we grow them? How can they have more impact? And then I realized, you know what, actually a lot of the real power comes with the MasterCards of the world. It comes with the IKEAs of the world. And if you can somehow get them excited about impactful ideas, they can have real huge impact. And so I've been kind of shifting more and more also towards larger companies, trying to figure out how can we work with them to integrate profit and purpose and kind of really create meaningful places to work. Um, and so a lot of our research now is both with large companies trying to see, for example, you know, how do CEOs navigate this world? What can we learn from them? And we can definitely talk more about this. I think there's a lot of exciting insights around, for example, um, how do you run a big company while at the same time also you know, having some kind of impact. Um, but then at the same time, also trying to figure out what does it mean for my students, for example, who, you know, when COVID happens, a lot of them had their internships lined up, they had their jobs lined up, and then COVID happened. So what do you do? How do you reorient yourself and, and really kind of try to, to anchor yourself? And so I think the kind of research spans in a way individuals, organizations, and social enterprises. Mm -hmm. Did you do part of your studies here in the U.S. or was the, all of this in in Europe? Yeah, so it was really, I mean, it started in, in Germany, then Russia and Mexico and then the U.K. And then three years ago, I came to the U.S., have uh, now a wonderful wife and a wonderful baby girl here. Um, so that's, in a way, a, a deep commitment to the U.S. But yes, so I've tried to kind of develop a, a sensitivity for different cultures and really also trying to figure out like what is different and what's the same and really understanding, you know, 
we always think people have are so different, but actually at the end of the day, you know, almost everyone wants to be loved. Everyone, almost everyone wants to be appreciated. And so I think there's, there's all these different common denominators that we have. And, you know, if we would bring them out a little bit more, I think the world would be a much better place. Mm, indeed, we do seem to focus on the differences and kind of nitpick or pick at those things as if they were a bad thing. But, you know, some would say diversity is the key to survival. <laughs> In short, I'm just wondering, though, did this give you a broader global perspective by studying and, and living in these various different countries. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how it impacted your work? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my first big kind of experience was in, in Moscow when, you know, I, I came there and I was like, oh, it's all about X, Y, Z things. And, and most of my assumptions were questions, you know, I mean, that's, by the way, why it's so hard for me at the moment to see all the kind of Russia, Ukraine type of dynamics, because I know that the government is not its people. And and, and I think that's, as you know, in, in every country that unfortunately, leadership doesn't equal the, the people uh, a lot of times. And, and so I've had so much warmth in, in the villages kind of outside of, of Moscow, and, and such wonderful people. I still kind of feel that that. Uh, uh, amazingness of the the Russian soul in in that regard, you know, literature that that's been inspiring there. And then from Moscow, I went to Mexico City, which is, as you can imagine, in terms of the kind of Russian soul, which tends to be a bit more closed and and maybe nostalgic focus. And then the kind of Mexico City type, like uh, energetic and and yes, let's live life type um, focus. And I found it fascinating to see that contrast and to to see, oh my God, like. I felt home in both places in a strange way. And, and I kind of, you know, took from that, hey, look, like no matter in which place you are, especially those places that seem extremely foreign, you will always find your community. You will always find your your, your kind of the people you find interesting. And um, I think my work is, is very influenced by this idea that a lot of times people can't choose their situation. If you grow up somewhere in Moscow or in Mexico City and in, in an impoverished part of the city, that is, in a way, the kind of not so blind luck, or the the kind of, in a way, almost, uh, you know, the the thing you could choose. Bad luck. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say bad luck because I think there's there's amazing parts that yes. that, that that are there. But but to your point, right? I think um, there is a lot of societal inequality, especially obviously in 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 those parts of the world. And so I, in a way, took from this, hey, look, like in each of these different parts, I've met amazing people who are resourceful, creative, and 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 who, who really want to do something in the world. And, you know, that's kind of a lot of my work at the moment is in, in Kenya and in, in, in South Africa. And it's amazing to see when you're there, the resourcefulness of people, the creativity. And I think if we were more open to that kind of inspiration that you know, we can learn a lot from that. Like we can learn a lot about how people make the best out of nothing. Um, and I think we wouldn't think as much about budgets and things as we do here if we were to see someone who has nothing and they look at an old garage, they see a training center, they look at a former drug dealer, they see a potential teacher because there is no one else. So you got to do something with, with what you have. But then when you actually have that former drug dealer become a teacher, you turn a whole community around. So I think that kind of creative thinking a lot of times actually has a huge impact. And I think we can learn a lot from that. And how about your influences? Were there professors in your life or other individuals that influenced your path and your mindset, your own serendipity mindset? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, a lot actually the kind of I've been very inspired by the old Greeks in terms of the kind of Socrates questioning, you know, when I first heard about Socrates questions, so this idea that in a way you you try to question people's assumptions and you ask why all the time and you try to figure out what is behind something. I found that extremely inspiring, especially for the times we live in, that I think we we all want easy truths and we all want kind of beliefs. But actually, once you then dig deeper, you realize, you know what? Like this is all the reality we're creating together and, and we have to somehow agree on what matters and what not, but also it's it's a constant negotiation. And so I think as we realize that, we, we also become more open to other perspectives. And so I think I'm a big fan of Socrates and the kind of questioning approach. Uh, Viktor Frankl, that book um, really impacted me a lot, um, really thinking about how he survived a concentration camp, which as you can imagine, is the toughest of situations you can ever like face. And he was so, so thoughtful about how he reflected about that experience and said, you know what, objectively, here's no meaning. And still, I will try to subjectively create something that, that, that makes me feel that there's still hope. And I've always been fascinated by this. If Viktor Frankl can do this in the toughest of situations you can ever face, how can we then transfer this to our lives during COVID and, and so on? So I think those two, probably Socrates, Viktor Frankl, have been my biggest influences in that regard. Yes, and I'd I'd really like to, in the second half, delve more into your book. But before we go there, can you talk just a little bit about some of the other things that you've done and organizations that you are kind of involved with, like the World Economic Forum and Leaders on Purpose? What is all of that about? Yeah, so the Leaders on Purpose is an organization we set up a couple of years ago saying, hey, how about we bring together the leaders of large companies uh, who, in a way, are doing amazing financially, but would want to be, do a bit more on the, on, the, on the social impact side. So people who are purpose-driven um, and now are trying to figure out how to do that in, in companies and, and then bringing them together, trying to learn from them how to do it and inspiring others. So it's kind of you know, doing consulting, training around this, but most importantly, also the convening of, of those people who are leading those companies with policymakers and others. And then kind of those institutions like World Economic Forum and others are kind of in a way um, platforms that I've always found interesting to, you know, figure out, hey, who are people who, you know, are interesting, doing interesting things, and how can we channel resources towards those things that truly matter? We're going to take our little break here. And in just a moment, we will be back with Christian Bush and talk about his book, Serendipity Mindset. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Heartstock Radio. I am your host, Carol Murphy, and we've been talking with Christian Bush, and he's the author of Serendipity Mindset and a professor at NYU. And I'm wondering, Christian, you've mentioned a couple times this uh, phrase, what matters most, and it's different for all of us, I guess, and sometimes we, we disagree on that. I mean, that's kind of a huge chasm that's existing currently in the United States politically. So 
how did you decide what matters most and, and what does matter most to you? I mean, that's, I guess, kind of how we find our life's purpose of being a, a purpose-driven person. Yeah, I've always found that a very interesting quest because in a way, after now two near-death experiences, I mean, I had a very tough COVID infection at the beginning that kind oh. of, again, triggered a, a new purpose a journey in a way. And, uh, you know, those kind of two experiences have made me very, very well aware how quickly life can be over and how quickly, you know, we could all run in front of a car tomorrow. Like life can be over so quickly. So waiting for too long to do the things we really enjoy doing or that feel truly meaningful, I would I would certainly abstain from that because we might not have as long as, as we think we have. And so I'm, I, I've become a big um, fan, especially I think for younger people to not focus too much on find your passion, find your purpose. I think there's a lot of pressure on this and it's very tough you know, if you just come out of high school or you're just kind of in your undergrads or so, it's very tough to kind of directly find your purpose and, and things like that. But I've, I've become a big fan of the, the idea of find your curiosities, find what you're really excited about, what you want to learn about. And then actually by doing this and by enjoying it and by be, becoming better at it, actually it becomes your vocation more and more. It becomes a little bit of your purpose or else. And so I've become a big fan of, of that kind of idea of, of find your curiosities and then use some kind of strategies that can help you to explore this. And so I'm a big fan, for example, of the hook strategy. And the hook strategy is all about saying, think about two or three areas in your life that you're excited about at the moment. So let's say, for example, you are working in banking, but you're actually really interested in social entrepreneurship in Nicaragua. Next time someone asks you, so what do you do? You're not only saying I'm in banking, but you're saying I'm in banking. But what I really enjoy doing is reading about social entrepreneurship in Nicaragua. And so what you're doing here is you're putting potential dots out there that other people could connect to and say, oh, my God, hey, such a coincidence. My sister just came back from Nicaragua. I should put you in touch. The point is that we always think it's very unlikely that there will be these overlaps with people. But if we do that five or ten times with two or three things, there will always be someone who coincidentally so we'll have an overlap with this. And um, that's where the most beautiful, meaningful things happen. And I've seen that a lot with um, entrepreneurs, especially. Ollie Barrett, for example, who's the, the founder of Startup Britain, like they, uh, he's extremely good. If, he, if, if you would ask him at a conference or so, what do you do? He wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three hooks where you could be like, oh, my God, such a coincidence. My sister's teaching on the philosophy of science. You know, we should uh, invite you, whatever it is. And so the point really being, as, as the more we put these curiosities out there, the more other people can help us with it. Hmm. So as far as your experience writing your book, can you talk about that a little bit and any other books that you've written? I mean, was this your first one and what was that journey like? Both scary and exciting at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's fascinating because I I started in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship is so much about storytelling and so much about kind of inspiration and putting yourself out there. And then I went into academia and academia is so much about analyticalness and, you know, in a way, stepping back from what you're studying and being disembedded from it. Right. And, 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 and so writing the book in a way um, was, again, pushing me back to the storytelling in terms of um, trying to figure out how do I bring in 
my personal kind of story at the same time as the kind of more analytical content. And so that was a fascinating journey to kind of, you know, bring that vulnerability back in of the personal story, but also um, kind of keep the academic integrity of, no, this is kind of science-based. And that's really important to me because, you know, serendipity seems sometimes as this kind of, you know, very abstract, like everyone has a serendipity story, but like there's not that much science around it perceivedly so and so this book was really about saying well what is the science about it is there science um and, and can we bring that together and so that's really the excitement for, for me as a as an academic to say there is actually a lot of science around this and and let's bring this together and have a way for all of us to learn how we can have more of it mm-hmm. and just you know as far as from a an author standpoint if there are other writers out there listening was it difficult to find a publisher uh, did you self-publish this? How did you do it? Yeah, well, so it was a very long process. I mean, you know, it started with finding an agent and then um, the agent was superbly great and found me a publisher. The publisher is, is Penguin Random House and they were great. Like they helped me with kind of, you know, taking it um, into different countries as well, which was which was great. I mean, to me, this in a way was the most fascinating kind of part of the journey to say, how do we take this into different languages as well? Because we all know that language touches us differently if it's our own language versus in like, you know, if you're somewhere in, in Lebanon and you read the book in English, it's different than if you read it in, 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 in the local language. And so it's kind of really those things where that was kind of the part that I focused a lot on also is how do we push that into different translations so that people can access it through their own kind of language rather than just one global language. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about any kind of future plans. Do you have any other books in the works? You know, it's fascinating because in a way, I think the expectation from publisher side and from kind of, um, you know, from, from, from people I talk with is, you know, what's the second book and, and, and what are you doing? And, and to be honest, for me, everything that I've studied over the last 10 years, everything that I've, that I've seen work, everything, all the different stories that I found, they are in this book. And so I want to kind of dedicate the next years on saying, how do we take this book into as many curricula, as many organizations, as many, you know, families as we can, because it's the kind of thing that I've seen have people such an impact uh, on it. And so for, for me, it's really about saying, I want to work more with different people across different areas to see how does that play out in their context. And to me, that was, you know, one of the most rewarding things in this process was, for example, when a mother would reach out and say, hey, like this, like this content helps me to reconnect with my autistic son because it helps me to reestablish a meaningful connection. Or psychologists, oh my God, hey, we can help with our patients to decrease anxiety here. And so it's kind of those things where I'm very excited to think about how does that play out in different areas and how can we go deeper with that? Do you have any more of those stories that you can share how reading this book may have changed the course of someone's life? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if people are interested, um, I think, you know, there's probably uh, nice uh, write-ups about it. I'm not sure if I can uh, mention on, on public radio some links to it. But, you know, I had, for example, I mean, that mother of the autistic son, I think to me that was um, one of the kind of most moving stories because she said, look, like when COVID happened, um, I now had to homeschool my son and I was overwhelmed by this. I didn't know what to do in this kind of situation where now 
you know, what do you do as 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 mom alone at home with 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 your with your son now, um, homeschooling them? And so, in a way, reading the book gave her that kind of optimism, that hope that 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 it would be possible. And then, kind of like in a way, seeing it as an opportunity, as a chance to um, reconnect with with them. And I think I've I've had a lot of those kind of stories where people, I think, try to reframe the unexpected then and said, you know what, maybe there's something in there. And, and that's really the core purpose of the book also to say, how do you essentially turn the unexpected from a threat into an ally? And uh, to give you another example, maybe I, there's an organization uh, called Reconstructed Living Labs in the Cape Heights in Cape Town, which is an extremely impoverished area. And, and they use the content a lot to say, you know what, when we go into different local communities, how do we essentially work with people with what's already here? And how do we create that mindset so that in a way we work together with government to bring the resources, but at the same time, we have people kind of, you know, thrive in that context. And I found that fascinating because it's in a way when you talk with people about that, that approach that they've been doing for a very long time already, is um, that it creates that dignity and that idea that, hey, I'm not reliant on someone from the outside. I can create my own smart luck here. But at the same time, of course, we want to also help them. So I think the long story short here is this content is all about how do people give, get agency in, in, a in, a, in a world where we all feel powerless and we all feel at times kind of, oh, my God, this is overwhelming. How do we get that power back? And not kind of getting into an illusion of control that we can control everything, but rather saying, how do we in a way control what we can control, which is the environment we're in um, to the degree of, of, of the things we talked about. Yeah, and our, our mindset, for sure. I think, you know, you mentioned that I uh, got to experience firsthand COVID. You know, all of us collectively got to experience all of that came with that, even if we didn't have COVID ourselves. So now making sense of it and that mindset really makes such a huge difference and i noticed too that you had a ted talk can you share with us a little bit about that experience and how you were able to is there a process that you went through to do the ted talk and what was that like yeah and and you know it's interesting because i did that um so that particular text with my wife actually um and we we did it together about our serendipitous love story and uh, our story, in a way, uh, is a lot about that idea that, you know, we both had a really rough period in COVID and, and serendipitously so we somehow, you know, fell in love and now have a wonderful baby girl. And so it was this kind of um, story around saying, hey, sometimes in the toughest of moments, that's becoming the inflection point for something um, that can be truly beautiful. Um, and, you know, I found that process uh, exciting, both because I think that the, the general TED, TEDx process is so much about, in a way, working with people to learn how do you put an idea and a story within a very short period of time and, you know, in a way, try to figure out what is the core idea here and the message and everything else, cut it. And I always find that difficult, right, to say, yeah. okay, cut everything uh, apart from the core message. But then at the same time, um, I found it very rewarding to work with my wife on it because it's on one hand not always easy, as you can imagine, to work with your partner on something that in a way kind of is, is so meaningful to you and you want to get it right. And then at the same time, it, it was a beautiful bonding experience. And it was saying, oh, wow, like we, we can retell our story and, and we can make sense together out of it. And to me, that's, that's, that's kind of like such a powerful thing to, to make sense with someone else about that because um, it's kind of that collective sense making that 
um, I find um, very joyful. So um, long story short, I think, um, yeah, that, that talk was all about how do we create serendipity in our own lives, but also then what do we take from it in terms of how we can turn the unexpected into, into positive outcome. Mm-hmm. And how might folks find you, Christian? The homepage is uh, serendipitymindset.com and I'm at Chris Serendip on Twitter. Fantastic. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And as usual, we shall be back next week. Thank you so much, Christian, for sharing your story and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Until next week, peace. In the wheat fields waving, and the dust clouds rolling, the voice was Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing, but on